Next up on the Mutual Audio Network, fiction from our future. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles. An audio adventure. The story thus far. McAllen and Tully have been taken to the Indian city of Mumbai by Anton and Othello, where McAllen is told she will receive answers as to why the mysterious key has altered her DNA, granting her the powers and lifespan of an immortal. Cedric is telling her the story of Evangeline Liefrich, a Valkyrie medicine woman living in medieval Norway. Evangeline has made contact with two aliens, Algar and Karana, from the planet Sorax that have crash-landed on Earth. Their injuries are very severe, and Evangeline does her best to treat their wounds, but the severity of their condition requires something literally unearthly, a starstone. The aliens explain to Evangeline that a starstone is a powerful, highly condensed source of galactic energy that can be transformed into a myriad of uses. The starstone they seek was located within their spacecraft and was flung from the wreckage and landed on Elkanor Island. Elkanor Island is populated by a savage tribe known as the Skaradoth, who used to live on the mainland but were banished to Elkanor by British and Valkyrie forces. Evangeline secretly infiltrates Elkanor Island and finds the elusive Starstone. But before she can escape, she is discovered and attacked by a band of Skaradoth guards. And now, Chapter 10, The Gift, Part 2. Secured my daughter. We should kill her. Huh? Oh, my head. What happened? Where am I? You're safe now, Valkyrie. You were unjustly attacked by one of my men. Some of us have not fully recovered from the illness that has swept our island. Our warriors are still too quick to anger. Argator will be punished for his transgression, you may be assured. Your presence here is both welcome and unexpected. Ah. Uh. My head feels like it's on fire. Do you recognize me, Valkyrie? Yes, of course. You are Vordok. You are the newly appointed leader of the Skaradoth. Very good. I see Argator's blow has not dulled your mind. Here, drink this. It will help revive you. The large man covered in leather and furs handed Evangeline a large clay mug filled with steaming tea. The acrid brew tasted bitter, but the fog in Evangeline's head slowly began to clear. She took in her surroundings and found herself in a large mud hut, illuminated by torches stuck into the ground. Ten people stood in the back of the room and stared intently at her. Only Vordok remained in close proximity. I'm captured, but I must escape quickly. They had the advantage of numbers, so none of them would be carrying a weapon. Could I use violence? But I can't see the exit to this hut. It must be through the crowd at the other end of the room. If they wanted me dead, why am I not restrained? What is it they want from me? Thank you for the tea, Vordok. You'll forgive me if I'm not familiar with the latest greeting ritual of the Skaradoth. Evangeline rubbed the bump on her head, while Vordok revealed a small smile that faded quickly. Argator should not have struck you. You're an honored guest, then you bless us with your presence. Perhaps I have been struck a bit too hard, but I'm having difficulty distinguishing the difference between sarcasm and sincerity. The Valkyrie and Skaradoth have been enemies for many years. Do you not blame me for your exile? 
Our violent ways are as much to blame for our exile as yours. The way forward for our people is through alliances and cooperation, not domination. You have shown your compassion by gifting us with your healing medicine during your prior visit, but not all of us have been cured completely from the scourge of the Red Plague. We thought Argator was well enough to stand guard, but his mind is still not his own. He acted rashly and foolishly, and for that he will receive thirty punishment lashes at high sun tomorrow. Our food is scarce, and he will go without for two days. Too often, our people have acted with their passions and not their minds. Fear has guided us down a dangerous path, which we are still retreating from. Forgive us, Priestess. Though I must admit, tensions are high at our camp, Valkyrie. Why is that? We have seen new boats circling the island that are unfamiliar to us. The flow of boats from the south have increased in great numbers as well. We sense danger to our people. You are a wise woman, Valkyrie. What do you know of this? I think Argator will need his strength over the next few days. We have no time for riddles, Valkyrie. You are more right than you know. Explain. Do I have the trust of your people? Evangeline looked directly at the crowd, mulling the rear of the hut. Many eyes met hers. Others avoided it by focusing on the floor. Some, but you have gained many admirers by healing so many of us. Do not toy with me, Vordark. You know I did everything I could by bringing enough medicine to heal a few of your sickest children. I promised to try to obtain more to heal the hundreds of others that remain afflicted. I think it is you who toys with me now. Our village is clean now, thanks to you. What? What do you mean? Your medicine, of course. We had so many to heal that we had no choice but to dilute the medicine you gave us with spring water. The results were small at first, but soon many of the afflicted made full recoveries. Just last night, Sordas, our sickest man, was able to rise from the bed and walk to the shores of the beach, something he had been unable to do for months. The Red Plague no longer affects us, Valkyrie. Our freedom is owed to the compassion you have showed our people. There's no way that can be true. They had enough dosage for eight, maybe nine children, not hundreds. Chief Vordark, when did the last of your sick become cured? As recently as last night. The Starstone. It was as though the medicine you gave us needed to stay in our bodies before reaching its full strength. It does indeed, Vordark. Is that what has brought you back here, Valkyrie? To see the results of your blessed medicine? Sadly, no. I have come to give you a warning. Evangeline felt the energy in the room shift distinctly. Fear had been heightened and the crowd stared at her more intently. Vordok seemed to eye her warily. And what warning is this? The tension you spoke of earlier? I'm here to tell you it is justified. The boats that you saw entering Sumnatok are reinforcement soldiers. Arms have been delivered to the garrisons in order to fulfill a holy mission. And what is this mission? Your extermination. Silence! Of what madness do you speak? The Skardoth are now a people with few means. We represent no threat and have garnered no hostility towards any people since our exile. The British and the Valkyrie have vanquished us and we have accepted the conditions of our surrender. Why would forces be sent to eliminate us? It makes no sense to me either, Vordok, but I have no ties to the British anymore. That is why I'm here, betraying them to help you. Listen carefully to my words, Vordok. You must gather up your people onto all the fishing boats you have and escape to the southwest quickly. The patrol craft that keep you exiled here have all been recalled to prepare for the invasion of Elkanor Island. You have a small window of time in which you must flee. She should be killed. She's a spy. Silence! Why would I come here? The presence of any citizen of Sumnatok on Elkanor Island without a military guard is forbidden. I risk extreme punishment by even being here. You have no forces. Everyone knows that. And what spy would give you instructions to flee? 
I know full well that yours and my people have had a history of despise. But a slaughter is coming and I cannot stand for it. I have helped heal your people in the past. I demand your trust. And you have it, Valkyrie. My heart tells me you speak the truth. Then your heart is wise. I will assemble my people and flee for safety. Perhaps this is a blessing. This barren spit of soil has offered us little sustenance and much misery and disease. Perhaps this has been our penance for the sins of our past. A new chapter may await my people in a new land. Your people are fortunate to have a wise leader. Here, take this. It is a small token that my father gave me once when I reached manhood in our tribe. It is a symbol of recognition. Vordok removed a small pendant from his neck. It was a simple string of leather, but from it hung a small grey charm. He placed it in Evangeline's hand, and when she could examine it closer, she saw it was a metal carving of a wolf, with tiny red stones for eyes. She could feel the importance this pendant held for Vordok. You honor me, Chief. No, you honor all of us by saving our lives a second time. Wherever our people may land, I will make sure that they learn from the mistakes of our past, and embrace the path of compassion you have shown us. But you must leave here soon before your presence is discovered by the British. I know you have risked much to give us this vital information. That I have, Vordok. Have your people assist me. I must return to Sumnatok immediately. Evangeline reached the mainland as the sun went down the following day. The Skaridoth had given her what meager provisions they could spare, but it did little to assuage her exhaustion from recent events. She was forced to ditch the boat several miles north of Sumnatok to avoid any detection as she returned to the port city. Her thoughts drifted to Elgar and Karana, the two dying aliens she carefully hid outside of Somnatok. They were depending on her, and she found her fingers kept unconsciously drifting to the starstone she carried with her in her dress. Touching it comforted her, and soon she would be able to save them before it was too late. But what of Pyta? What is your fate now, my love? What of the Eden Initiative? How can I help you? Evangeline tiredly walked back to her house in Somnatok. She unlocked the door and collapsed on the couch. Her hand was still tightly clutching the starstone in her pocket. Indeed, she couldn't remember not having her hand in her pocket for the entire walk back from the boat. Her body was exhausted, but her mind was racing. How could the Skaradoth be cured of the Red Plague? There couldn't have been enough medicine. Their population should be halved by now. Could it have anything to do with this starstone? The other welders were right. It doesn't feel of this earth. It feels heavy and hot. I have to deliver it to Elgar and Karana quickly. I mustn't fall asleep. Be strong, Evangeline. I can't fall asleep. Oh, goddess, where is my Piter? But sleep did overtake Evangeline, and as her eyes closed shut, her mind was filled with terrible images of her fiancé. A dream of a tribunal, Piter stood in a circular room, alone in its center. A stern group of clerics and judges outlined its perimeter. There were accusations, shouting, a traitor. Piter was pleading for something, her name. She heard her name, and then flames were everywhere, and Evangeline could no longer see Piter. The flames soon died and were replaced by a blue mist that surrounded Evangeline and passed through her as if she was no longer composed of solid matter. She tumbled through it endlessly while the blueness began to stick to her and cling to her skin. Small pulses of light emanated from various points around her, but she was too far lost to focus on them. It was the last thing she could remember. Huh? Oh, damn it, I must have... <laughs> Got you! You traitorous witch! 
You will be damned when the Lord has you in his clutches. <laughs> now, seize her! Kriegerson sprung from behind Evangeline and held a knife at her throat, pinning her to the couch. Four men rushed through the door with ropes and bound her hands and legs tightly. How dare you! Unhand me immediately! I've committed no crime! I demand to know- You are in a position to demand nothing. We have evidence of your treason against the Crown. We have evidence of your blasphemy against our Holy Lord. Your witchcraft will no longer pollute our settlement. You will be burned until your unholy flesh no longer defiles this earth. You cannot do this. I have befriended the British. I have healed your sick. I have been your ally in battle. I taught you how to cultivate a foreign land. Why do you accuse me of such crimes? Any act of cooperation you offered was either self-serving or a ruse to disguise your own wicked agenda. We know of your Eden initiative. <gasps> we know of your plan to steal treasures from the Crown and Church to fund a godless community of heathens dedicated to exploring witchcraft and sorcery. We know of your secret alliance with the Skaradoth. The Skaradoth? I have- Any no more lies and I'll have your tongue cut out. You were seen returning from Elkanor Island late last night. Our fishing boats have given reports of Skaradoth braving open seas to flee the exile that has been imposed on them. Surprising that they should cultivate such seafaring ambitions so close to the time of our invasion. An invasion that you had knowledge of. Because of your treason, they almost got away. Almost? <laughs> oh, my dear. Unless you've used your witchcraft to grant them gills, I'm afraid their new home will be the bottom of the North Sea. They were defenseless, you butcher! How could you? Enough! Take her to the pyre to meet her infernal fate. It will be a nice introduction for where you'll be spending the rest of eternity. The crowd of men grabbed Evangeline and hoisted her high above their heads and exited through the front door of the house. Kriegerson marched out in front of them, proudly displaying their prisoner to the congregation that had assembled outside her home, like she was some recently killed animal. Long shadows were cast over their faces, and the sky was burnt in fiery crimson. The sun had set over Somnatok, and Evangeline realized she had slept for over twelve hours. My god, it's already twilight. Elgar and Karana, how I failed you, as well as Piter. She strained her head to look upright and saw that a crowd of over a hundred had gathered outside her home. Each person stared back at her malevolently, as if they were looking at a demon. Every single person held a two-foot wooden cross in their hands and brandished it like a sword. Silence! Silence! This is not a joyous day. This is a sad day of reckoning. This is the day that the enemies of our church and the Lord Almighty reveal themselves to us. Certain members of our community have betrayed us and their country. We take no pleasure in enforcing the Lord's will. This witch before you may be one of the first, but she shall not be the last. We will not tolerate dissent among our people. Wickedness does not have refuge in Sumnatok. Let this be warning to those in our community and beyond that a cleansing is coming, a crusade, one that will reward the righteous and punish those that do not accept the Bible and our Lord. Take this unholy witch to her fate. The mob that held Evangeline lifted her even higher above their heads 
and marched through the town square in each of the residents' homes. The crowd jeered and spat at her as she was paraded through the town, and people threw garbage at her from their windows. These disgusting people. These were my neighbors. After the center of town, the mob carried her into the council courtyard. Anger and betrayal filled Evangeline. The treachery she felt was so unbelievable that it made the entire experience seem unreal, as if it couldn't really be happening. But deep inside, she knew this was really happening, as her worst fears about the British were confirmed, and the trust she harbored in the inherent good in all men was annihilated. She never believed she could feel emotion this strongly, this utter hatred for the ungrateful savages that now sought to ignorantly execute her. But then, something else replaced her anger, something stronger, terror. In the center of the council courtyard was a tall, thick post surrounded by hundreds of long, kindling branches. Just within her strained view, she could see several people holding lit torches. Oh, goddess. Evangeline was tightly bound to the post that was surrounded by long, sharp branches that would ignite as soon as they were touched by flame. The post was held by a raised platform upon which she stood as the branches were pushed tighter underneath her. Her anger and terror were so profound that it was hard to stay present and not lapse out of her body. She stared at the rat's nest of branches. They cut these from the forest. They actually went into the forest to get ready for this execution. Preparations were made. Forethought was required. How long have they known? They smiled at me when they knew they would kill me. Such treachery. All in the name of their holy lord. It was hard for Evangeline to move her head because one of her captors tied a coarse rope around her neck, choking her. But she was able to see Mr. Kriegerson climb up on the platform to stand inches away from her face. The sight of him disgusted her, but she wanted him to look her in the eyes and see the hatred she felt for him. Do you have any words of penance you'd like to say before your judgment is carried out? Paito will kill you in the most horrible way imaginable when he returns. Your days are sorely numbered. <laughs> Once again, your arrogance betrays you. Your husband is meeting your same fate in England right now. The two of you have been found guilty as co-conspirators. You should know that during his trial, he repeatedly tried to convince the council that the Eden Initiative was your idea and that he knew nothing of it. He told them that you were indeed a Nordic witch and were in treasonous league with the Skaradoth. He offered to deliver you to the authorities himself. However, his crimes were as clearly evident as yours. <laughs> Owing to the severities of the crimes, no mercy or bargain was offered to him. Titus Scarleton is now you. a dead man. You. The only comfort I can give you is that you'll soon be reunited with your precious fiance in hell. <laughs> Mr. Kriegerson turned away from Evangeline to face the crowd. Citizens of Somnotok, today let us witness that justice is being served to the wicked. This criminal repents no crime and offers no remorse for her crimes of treason, larceny, witchcraft, and blasphemy against the Holy Lord. Therefore, we grant this witch no mercy and sentence her to death by fire. Let the execution begin. 
Mr. Kriegerson hastily jumped off the wooden platform surrounded by branches and directed the torchbearers to ignite the pyre. Evangeline could tilt her head down just slightly. She saw the smaller branches starting to burn and wondered how long it would be before their heat reached her. Despite being raised more than 15 feet above the angry crowd, Evangeline thought they seemed even further away, smaller, distant. Suddenly, she felt something shift beneath her, and Evangeline realized that now the larger branches were igniting. She could just barely feel any heat, but the smoke was starting to invade her eyes and lungs. <laughs> the smoke was getting thicker, and Evangeline could no longer see the crowd, but now she felt something burning hot against her. Not at her feet where she expected, but on her thigh, a hot pinprick of heat bouncing against her. The Star Stone! The last set of branches collapsed on the fire, fueling it higher now, overtaking the platform on which Evangeline stood. The heat was searing and the sound of burning wood enveloped her. A roaring inferno singed her hair and face. I will not die here. I will have revenge. I will break free. They will pay. They will pay! Something inside Evangeline shifted. Her terror was now anger, and the anger was building in intensity. It had a power of its own that was protecting Evangeline, shielding her from the flame. She no longer felt the heat or heard the roar of the fire that surrounded her. The only heat she felt was the starstone in her pocket. She reached to touch it, and the ropes binding her snapped like thread. With a quick jerk of her neck, she freed her head and kicked her legs off the wooden post that restrained her. She looked down and was mesmerized by what she saw. Amid the yellow and red flames, the starstone in her pocket glowed intensely. A bright blue beacon that was feeding Evangeline power and more power. She felt it infuse her and surround her like the flames. Her anger merged with it and built to a single point of explosion. She couldn't take it. She wouldn't die. They would pay. They would. Ah! Evangeline reached over her head and grabbed the giant coat swung it over her head like a broomstick. The crowd screamed in fear as an explosion of fire erupted from the middle of the courtyard. Evangeline stood in the middle of the fire which was now reduced to a maelstrom of burning branches and logs. Still holding the giant post, she swung it across her body, spinning round and round and round. The world became a blur and all of the burning wood was violently flung outward at the terrified crowd that was now desperately trying to run out of the courtyard. If a witch is what you want to see, then a witch you shall have! The remains of the burning wood were flung across Somnitok, much of it landing on the thatched roofs of the villagers, igniting the straw that lay beneath them. Villagers were running to escape the courtyard through the narrow archway, but to Evangeline it seemed like they were running in slow motion. She grabbed two long flaming branches from the remains of the giant bonfire. She ran through the crowds, throwing the villagers to the ground violently as if they were made of paper. Time had slowed for Evangeline, and her body was infused with a power no human had ever been granted. She headed off most of the crowd at the archway, and then turned quickly to violently thrust the flaming branches into the crowd. At least three villagers were instantly impaled, and several others caught fire. She could see hands trying to grab her, but she swatted them away as if they were mere flies. She moved around each villager as if they were standing still and stabbed each one viciously with the flaming branches. When one of the branches broke, she flashed back to the burning pile and fetched more. Villagers cried and begged for mercy, but they could barely see the blurred images of Evangeline racing at inhuman speed around them, striking each one of them down. She picked up what remained of the long, thick post like a farming sickle, swung it around what remained of the standing mob. Limbs and heads were ripped off and bodies were thrown across the air violently to meet the walls of the courtyard. Evangeline grabbed the torches of her would-be executioner and raced to the center of Somnatok. 
At least half of the buildings were now burning intensely. In the blink of an eye, she dashed to each house and stuck a torch into the roofs and baseboards, setting the entire village ablaze. The few villagers that had escaped through the courtyard and were now running for their lives were rounded up like sheep and slaughtered as Evangeline violently thrust her hand inside them. They will pay. They each will pay! Evangeline flew through the village, repeatedly assuring herself that every structure burned fully and everybody, every man, woman and child, lay motionless on the ground. Satisfied, but still seething with fury and power, she sped back into the council courtyard where they had tried to execute her. Corpses in their various components lay strewn like discarded children's toys, eerie and motionless, except for one thin body in the corner of the courtyard that was limply crawling towards an escape door. Evangeline smiled cruelly and streaked to the figure which she brutally slammed against the courtyard wall, holding him up by his arms. Kriegerson. You. I, I knew you were a witch. A demon. You are a demon spawned from hell's darkest depths. You ignorant, pathetic fool. I am no more a demon than you are with an ounce of integrity. You don't believe in crown or church, just power. Just your own perverted quest for power. The congregation. <laughs> you killed my congregation. Let me help you join them, much as you would have me join my fiancé, Piter. Evangeline grabbed him by the neck and dragged him out into the town square. Fires were erupting everywhere now. Every tree, every house, every body. In one terrified instant of lucidity, Kriegerson realized that this is what hell would look like. She threw him on the ground and found one last flaming branch about six feet in length. She stood over Kriegerson, who looked back at her with absolute terror. Tell me your last words, Mr. Kriegerson. Do you feel you deserve mercy? Whisper to me all the remorse you must feel. Confess your sins, you maggot. Please, mercy. I beg you, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I, I can... I can. You can do nothing except betray those whose hearts are purer than yours. If you care so much about your precious villagers whose alliance you won so easily, then spend your dying minutes with them. Evangeline thrust the flaming branch through Kriegerson's stomach, pinning him to the ground. She then took all the headless and burning bodies around her and impaled them on top of Kriegerson so that five bodies lay pressed on top, covering him in their dripping blood, while lurid flames danced around him. It's not Piter, but you that I'll see in hell. Elgar? Kirana? Can you hear me? Please tell me I haven't failed you. Evangeline entered the abandoned hunting lodge where she had hidden the two aliens. She found them lying on the same blankets she had laid out for them days ago. She looked at them lying so still and had to fight the urge to break down and cry. Her hands and face were still smeared with blood of the slaughtered villagers. Maybe I am a demon, cursed and wretched. Everything that gets close to me dies. My temper is cause for murder, and I cannot protect life, which I was trained to do. She removed the starstone from her pocket and stared at it. It seemed so innocuous now, just a silvery grey ball, not glowing, not hot. And if not for the blood that covered her, she might have wondered if the horror at Somnatok had ever occurred. But it did, 
and images of the villagers shouting at her still triggered sparks of rage, and when she thought of her own actions, she felt disgust. She forced herself to quiet her mind of any thoughts and tried to sense Kirana's or Algar's presence, but she could feel nothing, just emptiness. Evangeline placed the starstone on the floor between Elgar and Karana and stepped back into the furthest corner of the room. She slumped into a tiny ball and sobbed. <laughs> Evangeline had collapsed into exhaustion and fallen unconscious. An odd pulsing sound had awoken her. She opened her eyes to see the starstone flickering rapidly in pulses of soft blue light. Ethereal tendrils sprouted from the starstone and were connected to several points on both Algar's and Kirana's bodies. Evangeline watched this scene intensely for over two days, rising only to eat and stretch her legs. Finally, on the second day, she began to sense the presence of the aliens in her mind. They were talking to each other, which struck Evangeline as odd, considering the bodies had been motionless for days now. But her heart leapt at the thought that she would be able to speak to them again. She desperately wanted to make sense of what had occurred in Somnatok. She wanted to understand how she was given supernatural powers and why they had been taken away. She needed to speak to someone not bound by the morals and scriptures of life on Earth. I don't feel connected to the Earth anymore. I have betrayed my own spirit by murdering crowds and children. I need to look beyond myself, beyond this world to gain new understanding. I need you, Elgar. I need your guidance to help me regain my sanity. I can't stay trapped in this identity anymore. I beg you to awake. Evangeline. We are here. Kirana! Elgar, you are awake? I am. We are both still very weak. We are alive. Thank, Thank you for everything you have done for us. You have sacrificed a great deal for us, and have realized great loss. My... my humanity, perhaps? Evangeline, your face and hands are covered with blood. Were you attacked? Elgar slowly rose to his feet. He stared at the Starstone and then at Evangeline. Evangeline, what have you done? One day later, Evangeline stood on her favorite cliff that overlooked the cold North Sea. She stared out into the distant horizon and wondered how far she would have to travel for redemption. The wind that blew through her scarlet hair contained a strong chill, but Evangeline could not feel it. In fact, she could find almost no feeling left in her body. The only thing she could feel was Elgar's and Karana's presence approaching behind her. You're leaving soon. Yes. We will never forget you, Evangeline. Elgar, help me make sense of what happened in Sumnatok. What happened to me there? What did the Starstone do? Evangeline, the Starstone you recovered was designed as a life support system. When it senses a life force weakening, it automatically infuses that body with the energy needed to heal itself. The Scaradoth! That is why you sense the Starstone being used. The Starstone's presence on Elkanor Island is what healed them of the Red Plague. It was being used because it was cleansing them of their illness. A logical assumption. But then... Why did it have such a different effect on me? I had the strength of 20 men. I had the speed of a falcon. I stood in the center of a bonfire without it any- It had not been calibrated for a human. 
and that is why you were imparted with such tremendous strength. And it reacted to the anger and fury that you felt when it sensed your life was in danger. It instantly reverted into a healing mode and delivered as much energy as was possible without killing you. You should know that your physiology has been severely stressed by your ordeal. Let us heal you. I don't want to be healed. I don't deserve it. I'm no better than the ignorant savages that would have killed me in the name of scripture. I feel so distant from the consciousness of mankind. I feel alone. You will never be alone. Let us heal you. Mankind will change. You must have hope and trust us. We have seen countless species evolve, and enlightenment is inevitable. If it doesn't, does it cannibalize or self-destruct itself first? I won't lie to you, Evangeline. There is truth to what you say. Many races have collapsed under the weight of their own ignorance or predilection for violence. However, those that survive can reach amazing heights of tolerance, technology, and compassion. I'm afraid I will never live to witness such enlightenment during my lifetime. Perhaps not as it stands. Yes. What do you mean? Evangeline, you have risked so much to save us. We know of your sacrifices. You must allow us to repay you. How can you repay me for what I have lost? Let me ask you a question, Evangeline. If you had one wish, what would it be? I, I can't even imagine anything that I... Think, Evangeline. Time will always be the enemy of those with greater vision than those around them. There is never enough time. I... I want to live forever. We can help you, Evangeline. Altering your body is a simple affair for us, but the larger question is to what end will you apply your immortality? Forever will give you tremendous opportunity, wisdom, power, knowledge, but it could also become a prison to contain guilt and sorrow and hopelessness. Think carefully, Evangeline. Is this truly what you want? Evangeline looked out to the ocean and reveled in its vastness. She wondered what lay beyond the horizons. She turned over her head and could see the last vestiges of Somnitox smouldering in the far distance. The landscape seemed dead to her. Elgar and Karana, I ask that you let me be immortal. I want to complete the Eden Initiative, but with my immortality must come safety, and I will need your help. I want to go someplace that no one will ever find me. I want to be hidden from the rest of the world. I don't feel connected anymore to mankind. I want to go someplace separate. The Eden Initiative will never prosper if mankind is allowed to meddle with pursuit of enlightenment. I must build a sanctuary for truth, a fortress where the cultivation of knowledge will be safe. I want to build a place that no one will ever find us. You know your planet better than we. Where do you think you could find such a fortress? I think I know a place. McAllen sat dumbfounded in Sedgwick's office, deep under the city of Mumbai. He had just finished the story of Evangeline, the world's first immortal, and her head was swimming with questions. Wait, Sedgwick, what happened to Evangeline? Did she live forever? Or what did the aliens do? The aliens, having been indebted to Evangeline, made the offer to heal her ravaged body. 
The severe stress that the Starstone caused when it imparted Evangeline with supernatural abilities had left acute damage upon her body. The aliens used the remaining power in the Starstone to alter Evangeline's DNA, and in doing so, granted her immortality. How? I want to know exactly how. This is what I've been working on. How did they stop cellular decrepitude? How did they make her live forever? Well, I think you're jumping to some conclusions. The aliens did not make Evangeline immortal in the traditional sense. What they did was make her body receptive to storing and utilizing the energy within the Starstone. The energy renews the body for a period of time by re-energizing cells and repairing cellular damage due to aging. I don't understand. Think of an average person. How long do they live? Well, obviously it depends on their country or environment or if the person is male or female, but let's say about 80 years old. How long would a human live without oxygen? Well, not long, obviously. 10 or 15 minutes at most. Ah, so by introducing a temporary infusion of oxygen, let's say every 10 seconds, you can extend the human lifespan by a million-fold. Okay, but I'm not sure I see the point. Well, what if there were something far more powerful, far more rejuvenating than oxygen, that a human could be modified to absorb that would have the same mathematical effects? A starstone. Exactly. In healing Evangeline, Elgar and Kerana altered her DNA and changed her basic physiology so that she could safely absorb the healing energy within a starstone, thus giving her the opportunity to extend her lifespan in perpetuity. What do you mean by opportunity? Doesn't she just tap into a starstone whenever she feels like she's getting a little weaker? I'm afraid it's not quite so simple. A starstone is a very powerful form of energy, but not limitless. When Evangeline taps into it, the starstone's power is quickly depleted. And then what happens? She must await the delivery of a new starstone. Cedric, what happened to Elgar and Kirana? After Evangeline had been altered and restored, little energy was left in the Starstone they had. There was just enough energy for Elgar and Kirana to send a message to their home world of Sorax to be rescued from Earth. When a ship arrived to take them home, they promised Evangeline a periodic delivery of Starstones to continue her lifespan. This would be their perpetual gift to her for saving their lives. But to ensure that the power of a Starstone would not fall into unwelcome hands, the aliens protected each Starstone with the most complex security code imaginable. What code? Evangeline's DNA. After they had altered her genetic sequence, it was recorded and coded as an activation sequence to format each Starstone that arrived to Earth. Without Evangeline making contact with it, the Starstone remains unformatted and dormant. Wait. If Evangeline was given the power to effectively become immortal, then how did you, and Sension, and Anton, and Othello all get the power as well? Do you guys get your own delivery of Starstones as well? Regrettably not. Evangeline is the only immortal that has the power to alter a human. She is also the only one that can unlock a Starstone so that the rest of us are completely dependent upon her to receive the energy we need to extend our lifespans. It means we are subject to her rule. Until now, that is. What do you mean? I mean you, McCallum. You are so very special. Look, I'm tired of hearing that. I'm sorry, Cedric. I'm sorry, but I really don't understand what's so special about me. As I said before, to understand who you are, you must understand where you've come from. There is an element of the Leviathan population, a rebel faction, that has been seeking to find another way to commune with a Starstone. 
a way that does not involve Evangeline. Your parents were prominent members of this rebel group. They were damn good scientists as well. Your existence is a result of a secret genetic breeding program that has been a century in the making. And there have been many bloodlines and experimentations to produce someone as special as you. Someone that has what you have. Which is what? A genetic profile almost identical to Evangeline's. Close enough that it is believed that you may have the ability to format and unlock a Starstone. Don't you see, McAllen? Senshun told you to go to Alaska to find the key? But McAllen, you are the key. You are our messiah. You have always been. Your potential has just needed to be unlocked. Then what was that thing I stepped inside that turned me into an immortal, the sarcophagus with all those needles? I thought you said only Evangeline could make an immortal. I said only Evangeline has the power to transform a human. But you, you've always been something quite different. Your leviathan genes have lain dormant within you your entire life as a security precaution. Anytime a new individual is introduced into the Leviathan Collective, he or she would be instantly sensed by the collective consciousness we call attuning. Your existence has been hidden and masked for most of your life by keeping your full genetic potential dormant. But now that your Leviathan genes have been activated, I'm afraid far too many know of your existence. They may even understand your potential. And what potential is that? Don't you see? If you have the power to transmute a Starstone, then Evangeline's hold on the Leviathan group, on all immortals, will be broken. Understand that a civil war has been building within the Leviathan Collective. There are the Edeners, the ones faithful to Evangeline's vision and obey her orders without question. And then there is us, the rebels who believe we should be free and not under the dictatorship of a madwoman. Senshun has been our leader. True freedom from Evangeline has always meant death. Until now, that is, you are our new hope. You are also an enormous threat to Evangeline, which means your life is in grave danger. But Sedgwick, I've never met this woman Evangeline. Why would she want to kill me? I don't want to be a part of any war. Want it or not, you are part of it now. Evangeline will seek you out and be relentless until she has you. But besides that, there is also a more pressing need for your cooperation. And what's that? Have you forgotten about Amelia, your grandmother? For reasons we do not yet understand, there is a deadly signal, a virus, that is traveling around the Earth, infecting and killing immortals. It has almost claimed the life of Amelia. And it pains me to say this, McCullen. But it is only a matter of time before it affects you as well. We are not certain, but we believe the signal originates from a star stone that has somehow malfunctioned. As if someone has plugged in a massive stereo at full volume and neglected to ever turn it down. The signal is so strong that it eventually overloads our immortal physiology and we die. Well, how did that happen? Why doesn't Evangeline just shut it off? I am afraid those are answers we do not have yet. McAllen, you are the daughter I never had. I love you and have always cared for you, and I've done everything to fight putting you in harm's way. 
but war is upon us now, and you must rise to fulfill your destiny. The fate of every immortal rests with you. We are under siege from an unseen enemy. You must find the Rogue Star Stone and neutralize it. That is your mission. But before you set out, you will need this. What is it? It appears to be a simple ring, but it does something very special. When you wear it, it eliminates the ability for other immortals to attune with you and you with them. It surrounds you with an energy field that will protect you from others attempting to read your thoughts. You have not been trained yet as to how to properly control access to your mind. I think it is a vital security precaution. Thank you. For now, you'll be safe here under Ravi. The Kumbar will see to it. The Condor is being refueled, and I think you need some rest, and I dare say some medical attention. I saw you limping on the way in, but we will need to get a move on soon. This rogue Starstone must be found and properly initialized before it kills all immortals. There are some of us who believe that this may be Evangeline's intention, and that is why she has not chosen to intervene. But then wouldn't she die as well? As I said, we are dealing with a mad woman. But for now, you need to rest. I know how much you've been through. I cannot tell you how proud I am of you. Thank you, Sedgwick. We will do everything in our power to keep you safe. Sedgwick, I think we both know my days of safety are behind me. listening to the Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. For more episodes and information, log on to www.leviathanchronicles.com. Hello, everyone. This is Christoph Leputka, author and creator of Leviathan Chronicles. I want to start by thanking everybody so much for tuning in and checking out the Chronicles. We just finished listening to Chapter 10, The Gift Part 2, and that concludes the trilogy that is the the origins of immortality on Earth, how uh, Leviathan and the immortality strain started on Earth. And now we're going to start seeing how that gets played out. And I think you guys are going to like some of the chapters that are coming up. But before we get into that, I want to start with some numbers. 8,100 episodes of the Leviathan Chronicles have been downloaded from the website. 8,100 episodes. That is awesome. Here's another number. 350 members on the website. That is even more awesome. I could not be more psyched, more pumped. That is terrific. But there's a couple ways that you can help Leviathan grow even further. There's a lot of people that are listening to the podcasts that haven't registered yet on the website. If you can take a second and do that, it really helps me in two ways. Number one, by registering as a member, you're helping me know how big my audience is. And two, that helps me promote Leviathan to some of the other powers that be that I'm talking to about growing Leviathan in other directions. It's a really important tool and it helps me a lot and it should just take a second. Registering on the website as a member is a great way to help Leviathan. The second way is by logging onto iTunes and posting a review. 
If you go into iTunes and search under Leviathan Chronicles, if you can leave just a quick review, that really helps us move up the iTunes popularity food chain. My goal is to break the top 10 list for podcasts on iTunes. And that is a huge reach. It is probably a pipe dream, but that is not stopping me from trying. Reviews equal more listeners. So I've been hinting at some of the newsletters that I've got some big news coming, and, and I think I'm ready to finally announce it. And that is that I've recently signed a licensing agreement with Audible.com. The way that the agreement works is that when we finish season one of The Leviathan Chronicles, and that's episodes one through 25, uh, they are going to be combined into one massive audiobook that is going to be available for sale on the iTunes Music Store. And what I'm hoping to do with it is to incorporate some of the comments and some of the feedback that I've been getting from you guys, from the listeners, from the fans, and and really make it a bit more of a director's cut where I can clean up some of the things that you guys don't like, enhance some of the things that you guys do like, and, and also play with some storylines that I really wasn't able to put in to to the podcast for interest of time. Uh, we try and keep the episodes down to somewhere between 45 to 50 minutes, but the open format of an audiobook allows us to explore a lot more. So that's going to be something happening towards the end of the year, but I'm really excited about it because being on iTunes was was always a dream and, and Audible has given us a, a venue for it. So a lot more about that to come, but it's exciting news and I couldn't wait to share it with you guys. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was the inspiration for Leviathan. And one of the questions that somebody asked me was, what was the, the impetus behind Leviathan? What, uh, what was the inspiration? What created it? And I talk a little bit about this in an interview that I gave on GeekCred. And if you haven't checked that out, uh, just check out the, the, the podcast in general, geekcred.net. There's some really awesome podcasts out there. So one of the things you should know about me is that in addition to being a huge travel junkie, I am also a huge adrenaline junkie. And I enjoy a lot of crazy sports like paragliding, skydiving, but especially scuba diving. A friend and I took a trip down to the Cayman Islands a few years ago, and we hooked up with a very crazy French dive master who, after several beers, agreed to take us to one of his secret dive sites. And it was a cave dive that started at about 150 feet, which is a little deeper than than one would normally go. But he assured us that it was going to be one of the most beautiful dives that we'd ever been on. One of the things that's really unique about the Cayman Islands is just a few hundred feet offshore, there is a giant underwater cliff where the depth of the water goes from 60 feet to 4,000 feet. So you are swimming over this cliff where all of a sudden the bottom drops off and you feel like you're flying and you're just staring out into the abyss. So the three of us descend to 150 feet where we see the entrance to this cave. And as we swim in, what was so beautiful about the cave was there was just enough cracks within the cave that light was able to penetrate and illuminate these unbelievable chambers that we were in. And all I could think about was nobody knows we're down here, that no one in the world could find us if we ever bite it or if we run out of air, this is it. And that got me thinking to how many other spots there were underneath the ocean that were completely hidden away from the rest of mankind. 
We don't know what goes on below the surface. What kind of life, what kind of monsters, what kind of aliens, what kind of hidden secrets there are that lie within these tucked away chambers that are inaccessible. This was 150 feet. We could dive it. What lies at 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 feet? And that kind of got my adrenaline going, uh, A, because I was at 150 feet and I was in a cave. But secondly, just thinking about all the possibilities that existed. And I've always been a science fiction fan, and I just saw this being a great platform to, to launch a story that I'd been thinking about for a long time. So that was really how the underwater theme of Leviathan started. And in future episodes of The Soapbox, I'll talk a little bit about how some of the travels that I took last year kind of inspired some of the other settings that you're going to see in Leviathan. One of the things that I think makes Leviathan unique and that I, that I love about creating the storyline are the settings in which the story takes place, the different cities, the different locales, and that really comes from my love of travel. And I'll be talking about that in some future episodes, but before I get into that, I want to talk a little bit about another podcast that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. One of the truly, truly great podcasters out there there is a gentleman named J.C. Hutchins, and he has a trilogy called Seventh Son, and it is a terrific podcast. I can't recommend it enough. The premise of Seventh Son is six clones that have had radically different lives, but yet share the same childhood are brought together. So you have uh, a minister, you have a musician, you have people from all walks of life that were that all share a common origin and, and a common genetic code that are brought together for a purpose. And they don't realize that they're clones until they get together. And they're the result of a government breeding experiment, sort of exploring the idea of nature versus nurture. If we take uh, six identical clones and raise them in different environments, how will they grow up? How will they be different? Um, but they're brought together for a purpose because the parent clone, the alpha clone, so to speak, has just murdered the president. And the six clones are brought together because they're the only ones that know how the killer thinks. And and this whole premise of cloning is stretched out over his novels. It is terrific. The writing is fantastic. I've really enjoyed his work. And you can go to his website at www.jchutchins.net. And we're going to play a promo right now to Seventh Son. I hope you guys enjoy it. The President of the United States is dead. He was murdered in the morning sunlight by a four-year-old boy. Those are the opening words of Seventh Son, Book One, Descent, the podcast novel written by J.C. Hutchins, and it doesn't let up from there. Join the legion of Seventh Son fans who are already following the story of seven human clones, John, Father Thomas, Kilroy 2.0, and the others, as they hunt down the man behind the president's murder, the man they were cloned from, codenamed John Alpha. David Moldauer, critic for thedragonpage.com, hails Seventh Son as a taut, tense sci-fi thriller. Gary P. Dilly Leland says, I definitely recommend it to anybody out there who's a sci-fi lover. Even Scott Sigler, author of Earthcore and Infection, says, Seventh Son's opening episode is the shock and awe of patio books. The first five minutes will have you hooked. So subscribe to the patio book everyone's talking about. Join the descent. Find Seven Sun at jchutchins.net and at patiobooks.com. All right, that was J.C. Hutchins' Seventh Son Podcast. Again, that's a trilogy, so there's a lot of content there for you guys to explore. I really hope you enjoy it. 
And last week, we played a little bit of music at the end of the soapbox. We had a song by ATW, which is the band that plays our intro and outro. We're not able to have a song from them this week. I think we will in one of the following weeks. So I want to keep this section of the soapbox open to showcasing new music that's out there. And if you're in a band or you know someone that's in a band and you think their music is in the vein of Leviathan, feel free to send me a sample. I'd love to showcase their music. If they're interested in being a part of the podcast, we'd love to have them, love to hear it. And uh, and that's what's cool about this, this section. We can kind of showcase new podcasts, new music. I think we can make this really cool, and, and I'm excited about it. So that invitation is out there to any music fans or, or any band members that are out there that want to use this section. So before I go, I want to give a shout-out to all the listeners in Australia. You guys are awesome. I love being able to say that I am huge in Australia. I know the internet is a global phenomenon, but the coolest thing happened the other night. I came home from the day job, was working, doing some writing late on the computer, and I wrote on my Facebook page, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, I said, Christoph is ready to throw in the towel. And I started getting all of these Facebook chats from people in Australia, where of course it was only noontime, and just gave me a great shout out and a great lift. You guys rock. I am at one with Australian life and culture. I am so thrilled that you guys are enjoying the story. Australia rocks. Thank you guys so much for listening. That's all I've got for this week. Thanks again. I will see you guys in 10. You're listening to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network, where you can enjoy the wonders of the imagination. And speaking of wonders, everybody wonders why the Bells in the Battery podcast is still plugging along, not only on Friday Follies, but a bunch of times on Sunday Showcase as well. Give Bells in the Battery a listen sometime, and you'll wonder how he gets away with some of that stuff. Rated G, family friendly. Caution, occasional toxic puns.